The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2016th January Leaders Retreat with Stephen Lutz, who ministers at Penn State, and Eric Lonigan. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. On the external, giving you guys some practical tools, tips, to uh, evangelize, to intentionally pursue ministry on the campus. I hope that the the first session and the questions that followed were beneficial, uh, because we can't we can't move beyond that. Those things motivate what I'm going to share up here. So <clears throat> I I don't have a real fancy way of going about this particular topic. I I really I. At the top, it says six tools to help in evangelism. So if you want to ta- uh, the title, there you go. Uh, all I want to do here is is just kind of unpack six sort of principles, and I'll try to say little pithy statements to make them sticky. Uh, and I want to just kind of draw things along the way and share some stories. And the whole point of this time is to give you guys some tools, give you guys some uh context for how to go about maybe maybe some of you in here the the real thing you just need to do is share some things with with in the context of the community that you're in and that's the the sort of bold step you need to take maybe it doesn't even have to start with doing something with a non-christian cuz that's so overwhelming and that's okay it's it's okay if that boldness just needs to start within um, the context of this community here. So some of us might be all over the map in that way, and, and hopefully this gives you a smattering of ideas of, of places to start. So I'm going to start with what Steve actually talked about yesterday and just unpack it a little bit more. So Steve didn't say this, but if you read his book, uh, College Ministry in a Post-Christian Culture, he got this M scale, which... I thought he was going to say, I've been using this M scale over and over again, and I don't know what the M stands for. And I thought, oh, maybe he'll say it, and he didn't, um, which is fine. But uh, we're going we're gonna to go through that M scale again. So just, just by way of reminder, um, and, and so it, the sticky principle here would be there's not only Christians and non-Christians. Is that sticky? <laughs> I hope it, it's stuck. Uh, so... You know, we tend to look at the campus as only Christian and non-Christian, but and, and that's true in an ultimate spiritual sense, like Steve said. But there's there are people that are in different categories, and that's just a helpful tool to have. And by the way, these tools kind of help narrow our focus as we go along. So they start out broader, and then we're going to get more specific as we go along. So maybe by way of reminder, class, what what's the furthest? What was that? <laughs> Was that was that that brash? <laughs> um, what's the first? What's the furthest point away from the cross in the M scale? M four. Okay, and M four people are what? Hostile. Okay, good. This is not a good eraser marker here. Um, let's try the purple. Am I missing something? Do I have a kick me sign on my back? <laughs> Seriously, what am I missing? Well, 
<laughs> Is that what it said? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Hey, you're supposed to know what I mean, and I don't have to say what I mean. You're just supposed to know what I mean. Okay, M4 is hostile. What's the M3? What was that? Yeah, okay, so suspicious. I'm going to put it as skeptical. Because uh, when I first read the book, I, I didn't see this so much as like gr- gradation away from the cross, but more just helpful categories. And I'm going to actually, my second point is going to explain that a little bit further. So, yeah, I, I would say more skeptical. They have questions. They don't readily accept Christianity. There's like, I don't know if I believe in the authenticity of the Bible. I have questions about that. I don't know if I believe that Jesus is the only way. Maybe there's questions that they have that are sincere questions. Um, and interestingly enough, because I, I think these can actually, we actually saw a guy on, on the campus last semester. I, I don't know if, if the seed ended up falling on fertile ground, but he would probably have been in this category, but he was actually one of the more willing to talk. So I actually find that these people are much more engaging often. Uh, than, so so in, in that sense, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that in M2, is closer to the cross if they're like, meh, right? Because that's what, I, I just ruined it for you. That's the meh crowd. The M2 is sort of the indifferent, which in my mind, that doesn't necessarily make you any closer to the cross. Um, but that's what M2 is. It's it's the spiritually disinterested, the people who are like content with, I'm just going to go party and, and do my thing and I don't really have time for Jesus. I don't really want to talk about that. As you bring up the subjects of spirituality, the conversation grows colder. I think we all get it. That's the M2 crowd. What's the M1? Okay, yeah, churched or religious. Yeah, the churched crowd. And then M0 is what? Yeah, at least they profess. Um, They profess to know Jesus. So, again, these are just helpful categories to have so that as you engage people, know that it's not as simple as this person's either a Christian or not. Now, again, ultimately this is true, but we're trying to figure out where are they coming from here? And, and that helps me navigate conversation with them in, in kind of a direction to go with them. So let me just give you guys a couple of instances where I've interacted with people in these categories. Because I think, was it Fenning? Is he here? No? He, he had the question, right, of what if you have an M4, what do you do? Is that kind of the question that he had? So let me give you a couple examples uh, when I was in college. Sorry, actually I wasn't in college. I would have just... I just ticked people off when I was in college, so we'd just yell at each other if they're an M4. Um, <laughs> thankfully, God graciously used Paul and lots of... Co- hey, Eric, how do you think that conversation went? Well, I think it went great. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me explain why. <laughs> um, so a guy named Brian Glass. Uh, I was getting to know Larry Martini at the U of M, and we were... He had a a group of friends that he was hanging out with that were all fairly in the M4 category, somewhat of the M3, but, like, it was kind of like this. Like, I walk into the dorm, 
and uh, the door is wide open, and I hear, hey, Eric, all gays go to hell, don't they? Like, baiting me, and I'm like, huh, I just walked in the dorm, and, and, and now I'm that, like, I'm trying to, like, yeah, there's, there's another Eric back there. That's what he thinks. Guys, that other Eric, that jerk. Um, it, but, like, th- that's how they were. That's how they treated me when I'd walk in. And uh, so Brian, the first conversation I had with him <laughs> was like this. Um, hey, I'm Eric. Uh, Larry's trying to give context for why this older guy's in the dorms. And Larry says, you know, this guy, uh, he's, he's one of those guys I was telling you about that I meet with. We talk about Jesus, the whole thing. And Brian says, oh, as he's shaking my hand, you're the kind of person that thinks of going to hell. <laughs> That's what he said. And I was like, oh, um, actually, what? okay, so here's what I really said. I said to him, uh, you know, how do you know that? How do you know, I think, how do you, so, I mean, maybe, I don't know what possessed me to say that, but I actually, I, I know what possessed me. I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> Honestly, I, I love the, I love, like, okay, we're there. I know. I don't got to deal with this garbage. Like, I don't have to deal with, like, this this whole game that gets played, and, and like, you know, we we got to go through this whole, like, Oh, let's play the Christian game and all that kind of stuff. I don't mean that. Uh, no, no, just don't put words in my mouth here. I'm, what I'm trying to say is we didn't have to go through the process of going through, hey, you know, the, the self-righteousness and all the playing the Christian games. I knew exactly where he was coming from, and that's how I prefer a conversation to go. So what I said to him was, how do you know that that's true? Actually, you're assuming something about me that you don't even know. So now, right away, the, the whole, who's self-righteous at this point? The, for, for you to, to start at that point is assuming something about me that you don't even know. Now, the conversation wasn't this sophisticated, but this is what's going on in that moment. When I said to him, how do you know that's the case? Why don't we get lunch and then I can let you know whether or not I think you're going to hell. That's actually what I said. Um, because he, he, now he's, he had thick skin. I could tell from the moment. There's some intuition going on here. And he took me up for it. And actually, uh, a number of those guys, what ended up happening is we were able to get lunch together. And I had ongoing conversations with these guys. And I basically said, look... You guys all have these questions and actually a lot of accusations about Christianity and what you think. But my suspicion is that you have sound bites of Christianity. So what you think about Jesus is in essence something you heard on Fox TV by some random, you know, tele-evangelist. And now you think you got Christianity figured out and you've got all the holes poked. But why don't you meet Jesus for who he really is? Let's talk about him as it's revealed in the Bible. I can't convince you that Jesus is who he really says he is, but I can say that he's changed my life, and I think he could change yours. But instead of just throwing me and Christianity under the bus because of like a couple sound bites that you heard, let's try to talk about these things and engage over these things in, in a way that I'm gonna, I want to try to show you Jesus for who he really is. And as you see who he really is, if you still are rejecting him, and I pray you wouldn't, but if, if you do, at least you know who you're really rejecting. And this, this group, it was so amazing how it went because 
we, I didn't really have these clear cut of categories in my mind as I shared with these guys, but we ha- we started the evangelistic group out where we really started to give some definition. And again, it wasn't this clear cut, but we talked about, for instance, cultural Christianity. And what I defined that as, as we were sharing in the group is you've grown up in the church, you can talk some lingo, but it, it doesn't really, Jesus isn't Lord of your life. He's not something that you would say you treasure and he's everything to you. It's more like you've grown up in this and you, you just kind of, you, you say him by profession, but he hasn't changed anything, and, and you've never really followed him with any cost, okay? And so we're in group one night at my house, and a new guy shows up. This guy's name was Victor, and I'll talk about him next. He was, he's on the M3 scale. Victor was from Russia, very sharp guy. I think he was a chemical engineer, way smarter than me. And he shows up, and I've had interactions with Russians before who have sort of are, are influenced by the Russian Orthodox Church. I think that's Eastern Orthodoxy. Am I right there? So he, he's got some cultural things. And, and he, when he th- thinks about Christianity, he talks about it that way. That's how he would talk. So he said, we're going around the group. And one of the, one of the first things you do when you're in the, it's like, <laughs> these guys are like, it's like Fight Club. These guys are just raw. So they're like, what do you believe? You know, and, and so Victor's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. And then Brian, who's in the process, says, well, are you a cultural Christian or are you a real Christian? <laughs> and, and I'm like, I didn't even say it. He said it. That's sweet. <laughs> so so uh, as Victor, is, he's like, well, taken aback a little bit, like, what do you mean? And s- they start dialoguing about what the real deal is and the difference. And, and let me tell you, the only people who were Christians in the room at this point were me and Larry. Um, so I'm watching this take place, and I'm like, this is amazing. This is really inc- uh, encouraging because the, their understanding, like, everything was laid at the door. The pretending, the, the, all of that was laid at the door, and we were able to talk really honestly. And eventually, I mean, I would have bouts and bouts of conversation with Victor about his skepticism because he, he just couldn't believe in something that he couldn't see, in essence. I remember having this long conversation about Jesus Christ and the resurrection with him and just pleading with him to say, look, the resurrection is an incredible uh, case that God, in fact, did what he said he did. The tomb was empty. When you look at the evidence, we don't have manuscripts testifying that He didn't resurrect. What we have are manuscripts and eyewitness accounts, it says, that he did. So the evidence is is stacked profoundly against the other side in doubting that. So, and I mean, we're not, the time isn't the point. (laughs) This isn't the time to get into all of that conversation, but only that to say, after all of it, he said, yeah, Eric, but there there are eyewitnesses for UFOs. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yes, there, there are people who claim to have seen UFOs. If that's what you're going to use an ex- as an excuse to not embrace Jesus, then okay. And really, I think at the end of the day, a lot of times, not always, some people have sincere questions, but I think a lot of times people's skepticism are smoke and mirrors. They're simply ways to keep you at bay, to, to not really let Jesus into the heart. Because here's here's... Again, like I said, guys, this is going to be a smattering of insight and 
Maybe you can call it wisdom. Maybe you're like, yeah, I've heard that before, whatever. This is a smattering of ideas. <laughs> um, I think that every single choice of unbelief that anyone has, e- as sophisticated as victors might have been, is always a moral choice. There's always a morality going on. Belief in, in God is always moral. It's not merely intellectual. There's always a moral choice going on. And so as I'm having those kind of conversations with Victor, you know, what I'm trying to figure out is like, what is the, who's the God of your life? And I mean, I could go on and on about it. He, he worked out incessantly, and he was kind of a, a shorter guy. Now, I, like, I'm just going to talk about Victor now. This is about Victor. Nobody in this room. I'll, I'll throw myself in here. Um, I, I, I could resonate with him on that. I, I felt incredibly insecure when I was younger. Uh, you, some of you guys have heard. I mean, I got stuffed in lockers, thrown in a garbage can for my size. And so I could relate with him in that way. Um, and I think he was trying to make up. He, he felt insecure. And he was very smart. And he worked out all the time. And as we're talking about these sophisticated questions, I'm trying it also at points to just get him to understand that, look, in Jesus, there's an acceptance and a boldness that you can have, a freedom from being worried about those kinds of things. Um, and that's, I, I try to get more at the heart at points in the midst of the, the kind of skeptical questions that he had because I knew at the end of the day that ultimately the barrier wasn't just, I need proof that Jesus resurrected. When Thomas, Doubting Thomas, right? You guys familiar with the story? said, I will not believe unless I see the marks in his hands and in his side. I won't believe. I refuse to believe unless I see those things. I don't think this was a purely intellectual thing that Thomas had going on. His world got rocked. The man that he knew and loved was dead in his mind. So how could he possibly rise again? And so there's always a moral thing going on. And, and, and when he saw Jesus, he immediately believed. And, and God has compassion on those who doubt, and so do we need to have. Um, as far as the indifferent category, um, you know, it's interesting. I would say at this season of our lives in, in ministry at St. Cloud State University, we have tapped into a major M2 crowd. Now there's some people who are in this category. I don't think there's as many that are in this one a, as of yet. But I, I really think, you, you know, you're trying to, how do you, how do you, that I gave, the, listen to my seminar at the conference. It was, it was a lot on how to engage these people here, okay? Um, but I'll just say this much. Um, I think uh, Steve's example of hot dogs, Jesus hot dogs, he called them, I think. Th- that's a great example. Find out what people love to do, right? One of the things that we kind of tapped into is with the warm weather, because let's all be honest, we live in Minnesota. You only got so much time. Um, Go outside, find out what they like to do. One of the things that we tapped into that I think has been really beneficial is taking people to the quarries, uh, right, St. Cloud? Jumping off the quarries. (laughs) They're so enthusiastic. (laughs) That's great. so we go, we go into the quarries, there's water, you jump off these cliffs, and students love to do that stuff. And it was super easy to do with them, and all along the way, while we do this, we are immediately identifying with Jesus, so that when they find out, you know, uh, at some point, down the road, yeah, I'm 33, 
no, I just, I have no life. I just love these waters, and I love to jump off these cliffs. Um, this is just, this really gets me going. Uh, I don't have a job. I, I have nothing to do with my life. Um, you know, at some point, they, they got, I, as, as soon as possible, I try to make that, that connection, but, but keeping it there, like, I, I love Jesus. I work for a college ministry, and we like to have fun. That might be exactly where I keep it. And then we go jump off cliffs, and we jump off the cliffs with them, and then we go to Pizza Ranch afterward. And Adam and I sit across from a guy named Chuck and a guy named Jake, and uh, they at some point had heard, yeah, we love Jesus. And, and, and it's amazing. When, when you've spent some time with people, especially you're terrified of jumping off of this cliff, and you've had that ex- shared experience with someone, you just get to talk about a lot of other things. And in the midst of being at Pizza Ranch, we start talking about Jesus and whether or not they believe in him and where are they coming from in the whole deal. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but my point is to say, get around them. The, the crowd that feels so indifferent, find out what they like to do. If, if you're at the U of M and you throw a big party, make it a really fun party. Um, have wisdom and discernment. Sift that through Mike. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe don't do root beer pong if all the pictures <laughs> basically look like beer pong and no one can tell the difference. Um, you want to use discernment. We had a question about that the other day. We had a party at Berto's house, the highlighter party, and it was all black light and we were wearing white and we were debating on root beer pong. And then Someone made the point, and maybe Elisa was like, you know, if they take pictures and these put, get put on Facebook, it's black lighting, we got white t-shirts on, it doesn't start to look that good. Like, you know, people downing these solo cups with ping pong balls, it's like, there's a pretty close association there with the world, and uh, clearly we weren't going to have alcohol in it, but you got to have wisdom and discernment about what kind of events you put on. Um, and I would say the same is true at, your, at Northwestern and Bethel. People love this stuff. We would throw a Halloween party in like, I mean, one of the, we had like 250 people at Reed's dad's house one time. Is Reed in here? Good. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> Man, we, we overran that thing because people are looking to do stuff. They're looking to have fun. And and I think even your, because um, the, the, these, these people exist at Northwestern. We all know that they exist. I've, I've ministered there, and you start to, to inch the conversation toward Jesus, and it's like it gets shut down pretty quickly. It grows cold. But these are kinds of environments where you can identify with Jesus and still show that you love them and are willing to be around them, okay? And, and so um, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on, on engaging this at this moment because we're going we're gonna to move that direction um, as we go on here. But I hope that those are just some helpful stories to give you guys categories, as you're engaging people, do, uh, do they fit in one of these categories and maybe even some tools on how to get into further conversation with them? Second point, pithy statement. It's not really, this isn't pithy at all. <coughs> but um, the point is conversion ultimately happens by the Spirit. People are converted by the Spirit and the Spirit alone, right? John 3, the wind blows where it wishes, Yet you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So um, because that's the case and we're limited in what we can know about people, this is a helpful diagram. It's been helpful for, for me as I've uh, 
seen this and thought about ministry over time because sometimes you're trying to figure out. And again, I, I think you can have someone in the M4 to M3, M2, and you're still trying to figure out where are they in the relationship to the cross. So you've got, here's the cross, and you got all the dots represent people, okay? How many people have seen this diagram before? So a quarter of you, unless some of you are just too apathetic right now to raise your hand. Um, I really feel like I have a kick me sign on my back. Um, I don't? Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so here are these dots. You have some people who are close to the cross. They might be in in the M0 to M1, but the reality is as you start to engage them, they're actually moving away from the cross. You actually find out that they're really not that interested. They, they'll, they may be, they quote a bunch of verses at you. They can describe justification, sanctification. They are in culture. They have grown up. They've been catechized. Whatever you want to say, they know the lingo. But when it comes down to it, as you engage them, they're actually moving away from the cross. As far as you can tell. Now, we don't ultimately know. That's why the point is made. The the conversion ultimately happens by the Spirit. We, we, We don't have that kind of access. What we try to do is share the gospel. And here's what I think the Bible means when it says God's word does not return void. Do you guys know what that means? It gets quoted all the time. John Frame helpfully has given us a framework by which to understand it. Pun intended. Um... Remember, stickiness is the goal here. Uh, John Frame says that basically what that verse means is it either is hardening people toward the gospel or it's softening. There is no neutrality when it comes to the gospel. It's either hardening hearts or it's softening hearts. So as you share the gospel with people, it's going to be moving them in a certain direction. And look, you've got to have a category for this. God is going to use you in that way. He's going to either use you to harden or soften hearts. And yes, I I say that intentionally, use you in that way. You are not ultimate in the conversion process. You're just a dot along the way. And he's either using the gospel proclamation in their life to return them to himself or, or he's hardening their hearts. And if that's blowing some paradigms for you, talk about that with us on the side. But I think this is a helpful category to know. There could be someone who's super hostile. They're way out here. But when you start talking to them, you know, maybe their arrow's really tiny. They're actually moving toward the cross. As you engage them, you realize that. Or, like I said, you can have these categories here that are actually moving away from the cross. But our role is to help people figure that out. And, and let me just say this. I've had multiple conversations, and uh, someone asked this yesterday, and I think Steve did a great job because he's, he's right. You, it is really difficult to know when to sort of draw a line in the sand, right? I think some of you have that question, and, and maybe some of you haven't even gotten there yet, but maybe you've been sharing with someone, and you're like, I, I, just, I just don't know where they're at, they're at. I don't know. They don't seem to be moving anywhere. Um, and I've been engaging and engaging, and I'm not sure what direction they're moving. Should I stop engaging them? Should I keep? So let me just tell you... Of, I, Ultimately, I don't have the, there is no silver bullet answer. That's why there's, uh, these are all tools here, because there is no silver bullet to doing ministry. There's just not. And there's no silver bullet to understanding what the Spirit is doing in their heart. 
But let me tell you of a couple conversations I've had. The first was with a guy. His name was Calvin. This was when I was in school. And this guy, he was, he was in the M0 to M1 category. He was uh, over closer to the cross. And he, he came to Bible studies. He, he gave kind of the pad answers when you, uh, pat answers when, when you asked him about Christianity. But when it came to really confession of sin, when it came to really getting, uh, talking about Jesus outside of the Bible study, there just wasn't a lot going on. And, and so the way that I, I've heard it put, and I think this is a helpful thing, is I like to sort of give people the option of, of pursuing him more. So, key, or another way to put it would be keep the ball in their court. Say, hey, Calvin, I, this is the conversation I had with, I love you, man. Like, I really, what I think is most important in your life is Jesus. And I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I'm willing to do it anytime. You have my number. But over the course of the time that you and I have related, I've been the only one who's ever initiated spiritual things. And this is over time, right? Keep that in mind. Lots of time. You don't bring things up when, when on your own. When I do ask questions, you give me very short answers. It just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of traction that's gained. What do you think about that? And it was mainly crickets that I got back. I don't remember all the ins and outs of the conversation. But I basically said, well, man, I just want you to know I, I love you. I, I want to be in your life as much as you want. So the ball's in your court. If you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to grow in relationship with him, the ball's in your court. Have, you have my phone number. Give me a call. Let's talk about these things more. Um, it's hard. It was, this was at U of M, so it's not like we cross paths often. Not at all. Uh, at a different campus, that might be different for you guys. And so it's easier to say, hey, uh, you, you know, if I'm at Northwestern, that conversation is going to look a little different because we're going to cross paths. And, and it's going to be a, a different kind of conversation. You have to navigate and use wisdom on how you do that. Um, so that would be Calvin. With Victor, I mean... I just would plead with him, and uh, with Victor, what I would do is, even even despite all his skepticism and his seeming stiff arm of the gospel, is over time, I just would say to Victor, man, I do want to keep talking about these things, but Victor, y- you have the same objections. We're just kind of going in a circle here, so I'll initiate toward you every once in a while, but please initiate toward me. Again, keeping the ball in his court, I- I'll initiate toward you, um, and I, I just hope and pray that God does something in your heart to move me, move you toward the cross. And uh, he, we were, we just, that was kind of how it went. Every couple months we'd see each other, but he just never was, it seemed like, moving this direction. And, and that's just how it went. It was difficult. Um, I've got one other relationship in here. Recently I was having a conversation with a guy over, the, over an extended period of time. And honestly, guys, I'll tell you this. I've been doing this for a number of years, and I'm questioning the wisdom I used here. I'm questioning if this was even the right thing to do. But there was a guy that I was sharing with at St. Cloud State, loved pot, loved to smoke pot a lot. (laughs) Um, He liked basketball. He's been over to my house. We've had dinner together. And the conversation started over football and eventually moved toward Jesus, and he said he was willing to talk about Jesus. So we start talking about Jesus every week. And... I'd come, we'd, I mean, read a tiny portion of scripture because 
there's a lot of pot smoking and I, his attention span was just kind of like it wasn't super long so i try to make things as simplistic as possible we'd get into the conversation and i'd be like what do you think and it was more often than not just kind of cric- crickets like nothing and after weeks and weeks of that i eventually said man I, well i i know that you don't dislike me and and you you wouldn't say you dislike god but i don't see a lot of evidence I've al- I always was asking him, after we are done hanging out, um, why don't you look at this first and then come back to me and tell me what you think? Well, dude, if I look at that, it's just like words on a page. That's how he talked. Um, and I understand that. It's boring at times. But I can't, I can't just read the Bible for you. Like, at some point, if there's no interest level here, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And, and, and I told him, man... I want to keep loving on you. I want to keep being around you. But I don't want you to think you got to somehow clean yourself up to get into Christianity. That's not how it works. But at the same time, man, I want to understand that you have an interest in the cross. Like, are you moving that direction? Do you really want to talk about this stuff? Or is this like nails on chalkboard to you? And uh, it was ambiguous, honestly. And, I, and at times I feel like I should re-engage there. But I told him, like, you, you are free to come to my house. You are free to be in my life. I want to invite you. I have invited him on occasion and things. He doesn't show up. And that, I, I don't have access to the Spirit, but I, I have to use wisdom and discernment. And I might re-engage him. In fact, I'm, I know I'm going to re-engage him and try to get back in there and see if anything's going on in his life to move that direction. And y- some of you might hear what I'm saying, and it really irks you that I have that kind of conversation. And I understand, and I'm not the, the wisest on these things. I might not do it the best way. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of people I know who do want to talk about Jesus and who are moving in that direction. And I'm trying to balance my time in figuring out how to target and be as specific and strategic as possible. And sometimes it has tough conversations. It involves trying to figure out where people are coming from. So I hope some of those categories make sense. I hope they're helpful to you guys. Third, um, life is an iceberg. (laughs) I think you guys are familiar with this, the iceberg principle, right? Um, So I'm going to erase a few of these. Hopefully you're writing them down because they're going to promote discussion among your campuses. So how many people have heard of the iceberg principle? Okay. So what do we know about an iceberg? Huh? A little bit shows, right. So only what's visible is, is just like 10% of what, the ac- what makes up the actual iceberg. 90% of what the iceberg is is under the water. And like that's life. And that's, you've heard that principle. People are that way. People are like an iceberg. You just get a glimpse of them. Uh, in a group setting or at a party or whatever in class, it's just a tiny little representation of who they are, what encompasses all of who they are. There are no ordinary people. People are eternal, and they're entirely fascinating, no matter what end of the spectrum they are on that. People are eternal. Um, so th- that's true of people, and we've got to take that into account when we, when we interact with them. It's also true of kind of the DNA of CO. Right? We have events all the time, and events 
would be what happens on, at the tip of the iceberg. It's what's, what's visible. Maybe it's cow. Maybe it's a social. Maybe it's church on Sunday. It's just a little bit of a representation. But most of life comes, what happens down here is in the unseen. It's in day to day. And we would say that like this time right here, this is an awesome opportunity to have you all in the room. But this conversation needs to continue. And, and when it does, in the lunchroom and in your dorms and we're on the road back, that is happening all underneath the surface here. And I would just say that a couple things. Um, th- like this principle, when you do have an event, shout out like a, 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 an event that you have at Northwestern recently that's like a social, just fun what did you guys have recently? Student preferred. <laughs> Josh is going, <laughs> nothing? That was in October. Okay, well, let's just use the, the Halloween. Valentine's Day is coming up. Okay, so there's a Valentine's thing coming up. Look, that is a low, <laughs> low cost, easy thing to invite someone to, Right? But it's got a purpose. We, I hope we know in this room that an event like Valentine's Day or uh, the Halloween party, it, we do like to have fun. I don't want to put those things at odds, but they always are serving a greater purpose. They're always a little mark into moving and helping facilitate you guys to talking to people about Jesus. That's the point of those things. Look, I don't... I don't prefer to have highlighter parties. <laughs> I don't even like board games or so certain card games that a lot of students like to play or Mafia or Murder in the Dark or fill in the blank. Those aren't like my favorite things to do, trust me. But I know that these things serve as an avenue to get into deeper conversation and in deeper parts of people's lives. So if some of you are in here and you're kind of like disgruntled about why are we always doing these silly games? Well, it's because it's supposed to serve a greater purpose. It's just an event. And it's an easy thing for you to say, hey, so-and-so, do you want to get dressed up and act a fool over at whatever house? Yes, let's do that. Because a lot of people like to do that. And it, it grants you an easy opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Um, Leverage events in that way. That's, that's mainly what I want to say about that. Number four, you can't evangelize the campus, but you can a friend or two. You can't evangelize the campus, but you can a friend or two. There's, there's no way that you can, you know, when I first ever uh, started hanging out in, with Paul and CO, and I, I think I had these aspirations to like, I want to share the gospel with the campus. Well, that's great, Eric. <laughs> Good luck. It's 50-some thousand students that are there. Um, how do you be held accountable to that? You can't. But you all have friends in classes, in clubs, in sports that you are a part of, and those people you can share the gospel with. And so I would just say target, have a target. Think of one or two people. If anything, you come away from this time in this weekend Come away with one or two names that you know you're going to take next steps with, that you're going to try to move and, and be more bold with. Hopefully that's what you were talking about some of this morning in the, in the group discussion. Um, and, and let me just say this. Some of you might think, I don't really know many people at all who don't know Jesus. Um, 
And some of you are entrenched in that. Maybe you're on a sports team or a club or your classes where there's a ton of discussion. Some of you in here are already a little bit outside the camp just naturally, and some of you might need to take some more intentional steps to get outside the camp and start thinking more strategically about a place to go where you are going to cross paths with people. And sometimes it's harder to discern on a campus like Bethel or Northwestern, but let's be honest, that usually there's a buzz about where the underground parties are at and what, what's going on there. I'm not advocating you go to those. It's a different deal at Northwestern and Bethel. You've got to have wisdom and discernment because you could be guilty by association. But if there's a way that you know that that person who's getting drunk on the weekends and pretending that you can cross paths with them. I start, when I was at Northwestern, there was a group of guys I started playing racquetball with. They loved racquetball. And I knew that they got drunk. But it was, they loved racquetball. And that was an area that I could cross paths with them. And we could hang out together. And I could talk to them about Jesus. Because I wasn't going to be a 37-year-old at one of their parties underground. Uh, there's a host of layers of reasons why that would have been bad. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Number five, uh, I just say natural and intentional conversations are best. Natural and intentional conversations are best. Here's what I mean by that. Um, some of you heard this, but this is how a natural conversation goes. External to internal to eternal. Okay? This is a natural, healthy conversation. Everybody knows that when we do beach evangelism, it's weird. Because you jump from here to here. Some of us just jump here. It's like, I mean, I heard about this one dude that was involved with you. I was telling Zach about this. He shared the gospel with macho man Randy Savage in Hulk Hogan. And uh, he essentially just jumped right here, called these guys out on Panama City Beach, pointing to, he was probably like, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage was like huge, all roided up. If you guys don't know who he is, he's a WWE wrestler. He's died, unfortunately, and he's a huge wrestler, dude. And this guy's like pointing a finger at his chest saying, I know there's a real man in there. Do you know Jesus? I know there's a real man in there. And it's like, whoa, like that's just unnatural on so many levels. Um, and and we know that beach evangelism is weird. Hey, look, I'm IMCO. I understand. It's weird. I get that, um, and, you know, but the point is to equip you. So you're not doing that kind of cold turkey right now. So here's the natural flow of conversation. Give you an example, talking to Will. Loves weed, loves football, the whole thing. And we talk, we're talking about those things together. And, uh, you know, I know over time he's probably thinking, this guy wants me to stop smoking pot. He's going to bring it up at some point. He's a religious guy. So we start talking about pot. That's not at all my aim. I understand that in order for him to come to Jesus, he doesn't need to clean himself up. I'm not about sharing morality. I'm about sharing good news. I don't want to share good advice. I want to share good news. And good news says, if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, confess that you're a sinner, you will be saved. Not if you stop smoking pot. That's not what good news is. Not if you start going to church. So what I say to Will is, hey man, I know you love weed. Why do you love weed? Okay, that question, all of a sudden, I move from here to here. Now I'm asking him a question to internalize something that he's doing externally, a behavior. Well, because I freaking love it, dude. That's what he said. Well, I know you love it. Why do you love it, man? Like, what, 
what's the point? Why do you love weed like you do? I don't know. And I said, I think, man, you've got pain in your life. I think you're trying to numb pain, and I've been around you enough to know that you've got some stuff, man. You've got some skeletons in the closet. And look, I, I'm, you're, you're free to talk about them with me. We can talk about your pain. And Jesus can bring about real healing. Now I'm already, we're, we're starting to move here. Jesus can bring about actual healing in your life, but you've got to talk about the pain. Jesus is a healer. He's the great physician, and he heals our pain. But pot won't do it. Pot won't heal your pain. I'm not saying that you need to quit pot, but if you, if you believe and trust in Jesus, you don't have to numb anything. You can actually feel. You can actually be okay in your own skin around the opposite sex at a party and not have to have alcohol or some other substance because you have an affirmation from your heavenly father who looks at you and when he does he says I'm well pleased and that is so much better than than having to use pot or alcohol that's a joke like dependency on that it, it, it's it's you're trying to cover up pain and and so this is how healthy conversations go and that takes time to do with people it takes getting to know them who they are how they operate you can't just jump in and dive in. Now, we do that for practice on the beach or whatever, but some of you guys just kind of go from here to here. I mean, we all do. We're all guilty of this, the external to the internal, right? It's like, you know, the sky's blue, and Jesus is awesome. What do you think about him? And it's like, what? Uh, my name's Jim. What, why are you, why'd you just say that? That's weird. Um, Okay, finally, uh, number six, how do you climb 10,000 steps? What's the answer to that? One step at a time. I think you guys all said it. Um, so th uh, Steve didn't get in this, but it's in his book. Explore, engage, and express. So a lot of times we don't talk about Jesus with people because we feel like we got to get the whole thing out and talk about like redemptive history all in one sitting. And so we like make it to be this mountain. We make a mountain out of molehill, quite literally. And w we don't talk about Jesus because we feel like, you know, I, I, I just don't know what I'm talking about. Look, the guy who was born blind and then got healed, he didn't even know who did it exactly. He didn't even know what had gone on in his life. After he got healed, he was like, the, the Pharisees around him were like, what happened? I was blind and now I see. It's not that complicated, Pharisees. Like, I was blind and now I see. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Let's go to your parents and try to figure this one out here. Yeah, he was blind and now he sees. That's kind of what happened. And he can't help but talk about this with other people. And, and, and Jesus doesn't chastise him for that. He praises him for it. And the gospel flourishes, it starts to flourish through his life. So don't make the gospel conversation have to be everything. So what it means to explore with people is just getting to know them. Who are they? What makes them tick? What are their hobbies? What do they like to do? What are their favorite things to do in life? Explore where they came from. What's their family like? The more you can get in this, the more you're going to get to know them. And that's, they're not, they're not uh, set apart from each other. Steve was talking about that yesterday. We join clubs and, and, and we pursue 
people intentionally as a whole. They're, they're both an end in sight. I want to know about who you are, and I want to share Jesus with you. Those things aren't at odds. This is not an ends means thing. They're both together, loving them, together getting to know who they are. Then you start to move the conversation, engaging them in a, in a spiritual sense. What do you think about eternity? What do you think about God? Do you think he exists? What do you think about other religions? What, what, what's your process in talking about, or growing up, what, how did this go with you? Um, did you ever go to a church? Do you, have, do you know anything there is to know about a church? And then finally, express is actually sharing the gospel. It's actually getting the whole gospel message out. It's actually presenting Jesus for who, for who he really is. So this might be where you finally break into the bridge diagram. Or if you need a tool that way, this would be a good place to bring it into place. Expressing the gospel. But here's the encouraging thing for all these. Don't make, if, if you barely know someone, don't make the goal in the first time you meet them to do the whole internal, external, eternal, the whole explore, engage, express in your first meeting with them. You don't have to do that. Just start here. Say, this week, I want to explore with these two people that came to my mind. Two people. I want to explore with them. And then, maybe after two times of meeting with them, I, I, really, I was going to quote from this, but I know it's getting long here and we're going to finish up. I really encourage you to read Rosaria Butterfield's testimony, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, because she expresses this stuff so well. Over time, maybe after getting to know them, engage with them. Ask them about spiritual things. But always, always be moving and identifying with Jesus. Make it clear from the get-go that you, and if, if, if the first session is true, you're going to not help but speak of what you've seen and heard. It's going to come out. They're going to know. Okay, we're not doing a bait and switch here. And then eventually you move to this. And maybe sometimes... I was just talking with one of our students who, it sounds to me like a lot of this has gone on, and she was un, un, it was even unknown to her, and this girl actually confided in her. That makes for an easy opportunity to express, because trust has been gained. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to give you guys further instruction after lunch. Is there any... Uh, let me pray for us, and then Reed's going to give some instruction about lunch. Father, there's a lot here. I, I pray that these tools would be helpful for us, that we could take these onto the campus, that we wouldn't feel overwhelmed, but we know ultimately the Spirit blows where it wishes. Uh, we don't understand where it comes from or where it's going, but we just want to be in the place when it happens and, and have the privilege to see people move toward the cross. I pray that people would be placed on our hearts right now so that we could share the gospel with them, that we can gauge them, that we can explore with them, and that you would give us boldness to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.